0: So tonight we're beginning what will be a five-part series that we'll pick up on and off throughout this summer on the book of Acts. And the tagline for this sermon series, as you can see on the screen, is the gospel-centered growing Church. That's what we would aspire to be here at Faith, as I think every church should, and it's a summary of the story of the book of Acts. Acts begins with the church in Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, and the gospel is proclaimed, and people come to believe in Jesus, and then we go throughout the course of the book, geographically out and out and out and out from Jerusalem to the ends of the known earth back then, And in all that time, the church remained centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, come to save us. So we'll be following the big picture of the book of Acts. We certainly won't touch anything like all of it, but we'll see the main movements in these five stops we'll make along the way. For the first several chapters of Acts, the first section of the book, the apostles are in Jerusalem. They receive the Holy Spirit, they proclaim the gospel, And tonight we'll be reading from Acts chapter 5, which is one of the stories of the apostles in Jerusalem. It's a little bit of a longer reading than I often have, but it's good. It's from the Bible. Um, It's also helpful to have the whole thing in front of us. I was uh, at a conference lately when someone said they were going to have a long scripture reading and then in a very dry way said, but what better way could we spend our time than listening to God's word? So let's listen to God's word together tonight. This is Acts chapter 5 from verse 17 to 42. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody And about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men, You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. This is God's word for us tonight. We're going to work through this text in two movements tonight with different different ways of approaching the theme that's the sermon title, Fighting with God. And that title, Fighting with God, has a double meaning that we'll unpack with our two movements in the sermon. And we'll start with looking at how people in this text are fighting against God, how they're fighting against God. There's an old comedy sketch called Boot to the Head, and it begins with a martial arts teacher instructing his students in the ways of self-control and tranquility. And as he's trying to bring them to this, one of his students interrupts his master, and he's obviously an obnoxious guy, and he says, I don't want to learn self-control. I came here to learn how to beat people up. When are we going to see some action? And the master tries to persuade the student that what he really needs is tranquility and reflection and self-control, but the student is not going to have any of it. He keeps pushing, show me how to fight. So after some back and forth, the master gives up and he invites the student up for a demonstration. Finally, some action, says the student, and he comes up, they line up for a joust, and then the master says, boot to the head, whack, and he knocks the student down. And the student gets up and says, I, I, I wasn't ready. Try again. Boot to the head. Whack. And the student goes down again. And he gets up again and says, I'll get you this time. And again, the teacher knocks him down. And he says, I, I think I'm just going to lie here and rest for a while. And then another student comes up to the teacher and says, Master, I also wish to learn how to fight. And the master asks him, Have you learned nothing from your fellow student? And the second student says, Yes. I've learned that anger is a weapon only in the hands of your opponent and also get in the first strike. And the student takes a wild swing at his teacher and misses and the teacher kicks him and he goes down. And then the whole class rushes the teacher and the the sketch goes, boot to the head, boot to the head, boot to the head, boot to the head. And they all end up on the ground groaning. And then the teacher invites them to rejoin soul to aching body and now now embrace the way of self-control in tranquility. A good martial arts practitioner knows how to take everything that you throw at them and send it back your way. And in this text, we see people, and throughout the book of Acts, there's this theme of of different authorities, of different people coming after God's people and trying to stop God's plan and trying to stop the proclamation of the gospel. And again and again, God takes what they throw at God's people And he turns it around, and he uses it for the spread of his kingdom and the proceeding, the progress of his plan. And actually, in this text especially, but throughout the book of Acts, there's all kinds of humorous ironies and reversals that people think they've finally got this gospel movement under control, and then it explodes again in their faces and grows and grows and grows. At the beginning of this text, the Sanhedrin, and that's the highest Jewish authority, the highest religious council in court, they meet in the council hall near the temple. And the day before, they've had the apostles arrested and thrown in jail, and, and they want to stop this movement, so they, they send their officers to bring the apostles from jail for basically a trial. But the guards go, and they go to the jail, and the guards are standing there, sure, everything's okay, and the door is locked, but there's, there's nobody actually in the jail. And so the guards come back empty-handed and red-faced, and they tell the Sanhedrin, "Uh, we don't know what happened, but they aren't there. And the irony of this situation is that this whole time, while the Sanhedrin has been gathering, while they've sent their guards away to go off to the jail and bring the people back, the apostles are actually in the same complex, in the same, same temple, big complex, but the same temple complex as the Sanhedrin. So as the Sanhedrin are gathering to judge, to put the apostles on trial, the apostles are just a long stone's throw away preaching the gospel. They thought they'd gotten those guys in jail, and instead, they're just right over there preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Instead of the message being shut down, it's continuing to spread right at that moment, So the Sanhedrin again send their guards out and they manage to bring the apostles in and and then the high priest lays out some official charges against them. And basically these charges, if you wanted to summarize them as questions, would be, how dare you? How dare you do this? Who do you think you are? Where did all this come from? And the apostles give an answer that just enrages the Jewish leaders and we'll come back to that in our second point. But the Sanhedrin get all worked up by that response, and they're about to execute the apostles. And then this famous teacher, this Gamaliel, stands up, and he gets the apostles sent out, and he quiets everybody down. And then he makes some shrewd historical and political observations. Remember, he says, remember, things like this have happened before. Remember Thutis, that thing he had going and then it all fell apart? Remember Judas, his little movement that, that's all gone now? Think about it. All these people rise up, they get this movement, everybody gets all excited, and then it dies away again. And that's, that's probably what's going to happen here. So don't, don't fight God, don't, don't try to battle this, just let these men go and see what happens. And basically this guy is just being a political realist, History has shown all these movements. They've all fallen apart. Just let them collapse under their own weight. Don't get involved. Now, the Sanhedrin and this particular teacher, Gamaliel, in their, in their approaches, they represent how the world up to today has often viewed the Christian faith. The pressure points, the particular issues are different throughout history and around the world, But the basic template is the same. Sometimes believers are literally summoned in front of a court, and sometimes we're just tried in the court of popular opinion. But the Christian faith has always faced this question, or these questions How dare you? How dare you? Who do you think you are? Where did you get these ideas from? How dare you? If we were in the Middle East today, for example, we'd have to answer the question, how dare you talk about another god than Allah? How dare you? If we were in India, we'd have to answer the question, how dare you say that Jesus is really any different than the thousand other gods that we've got? Here in America, we might most often have to answer the question, how dare you say that you, that you have the truth? What makes you think that you're so special? And honestly, these days in our culture, a lot of people think that the Christian faith is soon going to collapse under its own weight. They don't quite use Gamaliel's language of don't fight against God, but but we have our phrases today. You Christians, you're on the wrong side of history. You're retrograde, you're regressive, you're backwards. Get out of the way of progress. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Now, we have it incredibly easier than the apostles did, but we still face questions about the value of this Christian movement, about about what we're up to in following Jesus Christ. So tonight, I want us to reflect to look to the apostles for a guide on how to respond to those questions. I said at the beginning of this sermon that fighting with God has two meanings. One is fighting against God, but now we're going to reflect on what it means to fight for God. You can fight with somebody by being against them, or you can fight with somebody being on the same side, fighting the same enemies. So tonight I want us to think about what it means for us to battle, to fight, to persevere for the Lord's cause. When the Sanhedrin called the apostles before them and, and challenged them, Peter responds simply, and he starts with the line, We must. We must. And the grammar there, the words there, is actually really strong. It's not a throwaway we must. It's a pound the pulpit. It is necessary. It is imperative. We have to. To do this, we are obligated. It is necessary for us to obey God rather than people. Peter says that to the Sanhedrin, and then he goes on and he says, well, he proclaims the gospel. Jesus was killed. In fact, you killed him. He rose again to bring forgiveness of sins, and we are here with the Holy Spirit as a witness of these things. In effect, Peter says to the Sanhedrin, I I can't obey you. I dare to do this because God himself has told us to do this, and, and I need to follow Jesus, and Jesus is the Savior. And by the way, would you like to follow Jesus too? And of course, the Sanhedrin lose their heads at this, and then Gamaliel stands up and says his bit, and they're all persuaded. They call the disciples back in. They beat him up, and they send him out saying, Don't do this anymore. And then with a show of faith that we, could, that we could only pray for, the disciples go on their way rejoicing. They go out giving thanks that they were privileged to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And then they go out and they keep proclaiming Jesus every day. Every day they're back in the temple talking about how Jesus who was killed has risen, how he's ascended to heaven and how he's provided salvation for all people. And every day they're going from house to house teaching people and proclaiming to anyone who will listen and to some who don't want to listen, proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ died and rose to save us. The story of the gospel and the book of Acts are full of irony and reversal. Jesus is executed and he comes back more powerful than before, if that's even possible. These leaders kill him and think they've finally done away with this movement. And and then the movement explodes and spreads. The disciples are arrested and almost executed and beaten and killed. And then they go on their way rejoicing and they keep right on teaching. A little bit later in this first section of the book of Acts, the first Christian, Stephen, the first Christian martyr is killed. And believers are scattered and they have to flee Jerusalem. And as they go out, The gospel goes with them and the church spreads and spreads and spreads. No matter what the opponents of the gospel do, they can't stop the apostles because God is on their side. The leaders try this move and God reverses it. They try another kind of attack and God reverses it. They try the next thing and God continues with his plan. If we were going to give a spiritual play-by-play of the book of Acts, it would look a lot like that boot-to-the-head sketch that I opened with, that they try one thing, and God knocks them down, and they try another thing, and God knocks them down again, and they try to get in the way of the spread of the gospel, and God knocks them down again, and over and over and over again in the, gospel of, or in the book of Acts, the Lord continues with His plan to spread the gospel. These early sections of Acts show us that God is really good at spiritual judo. People try to stop his plans, and he keeps right on going. So now let's reflect a little bit on what that means for us today. And I want to draw out three applications for our lives as Christians today. First of the three, let's really grasp what is more necessary? In this life, we face all kinds of pressures, and there's all kinds of different things that that seem urgent, but what is really, what is really most necessary? And if we follow what the book of Acts tells us, if we follow the example of the apostles, what is most necessary is that we serve God and that we proclaim Jesus Christ and everything else comes second to that. We will face challenges to our faith. We will face all kinds of distractions, things that might seem more pressing or more urgent right now. And we will probably more and more face straight-up challenges to our faith. More and more we'll be told our faith is narrow, that we're bigoted, That we're against everything that's right in this life. That we should, at best, keep our faith to ourselves. But what's more necessary? What's more necessary is that we obey God and that we proclaim the gospel. So keep fighting for the Lord, not against the Lord. And second, we fight for the Lord by continuing to proclaim the gospel. Christians often face the temptation when someone comes after us to, to turn our struggles into power encounters. You attack me, I'll attack you back. You come after us, we go after you. And there are times and places for, for Christians to engage in different types of power encounters. But just as with the apostles, our primary mission is to proclaim the gospel. Our primary mission is is to stand in front of people who, even if they are opposed to us, to say to them graciously, clearly, lovingly, powerfully, Jesus Christ has died. Jesus Christ has risen. We are witnesses to this along with the Holy Spirit. Would you like to become one of Jesus' people? Fighting for the Lord does not mean that we are always angry, abrasive, and on the attack. It means that we're honest. It means that we hold to the truth. But it also means that we continue to speak graciously. And we continue to offer the gospel even to those, even to those who, like the Sanhedrin, want to beat us down and shut us up. When we are challenged for our faith, we ought to point to Jesus. So when people ask, how dare you? Our response should be, we dare to do this because it's more necessary to follow Jesus. And when people ask, why do you think you're so special? Our answer should be, well, I'm not special, but I serve a special, unique Lord who died and rose again to save me. And third and finally, drawing out implications from this text. As we fight for the Lord, we need to recognize that really it's not about us. It is the Lord who is fighting this battle. And the Lord is much stronger and much more able than we are, and we will not accomplish anything. We will not accomplish anything apart from God's power and His plan. And that is actually tremendously encouraging and gives us tremendous joy and freedom. The apostles standing before the Sanhedrin did not need to win that fight. It was not their responsibility. And it is not our responsibility either. Our responsibility is to speak the truth and to depend on the Lord. And when we experience times of trouble for the faith, when people strike out against the gospel, they are not fighting against Christians. They are fighting against the Lord. And the Lord always wins. No matter what moves the authorities, the world, the, the whatever opponent the gospel is facing right now, whatever moves they make, the Lord turns them around for the good of his kingdom. This fight is the Lord's, and he wins will win so receive the gospel of jesus christ died and risen for you receive the blessing the power and the presence of the holy spirit in your life and and proclaim that gospel fight for the lord and know that the fight is truly the lord's and he will win no matter what let's pray Father, we praise you because you are a God of power and might, and we also praise you because you are a God of love and comfort. Father, we give you thanks that you shepherded your church, that you continue to shepherd your church through hard times. We give you thanks for the ways that you empowered the apostles to speak your word and also to write your word so that we could hear it even now, even today. And Father, we pray that you give us the strength, the equipping, the empowerment, the encouragement that we need in order to be your witnesses here and now in the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, if there are ways that any of us are fighting against you, if there are ways in our lives that we are going with, going with the flow of the world or Or denying the reality of your love and your grace and your will for us. Then we pray that you turn us around. Get us headed in the right direction. And Father, help us to fight for you. And not to fight for you with with anger. But with grace. With joy. And with perseverance. Because the fight is yours. Because you have already won. And because you will win in the end. Father, help us to always depend on you and give us the hope that we need. Amen.